We would like to welcome you this morning to Abundant Life Ministries as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. How many of you have heard of anything by the, by the name of Juneteenth? Have you heard of that? Juneteenth was, okay, so slavery existed in our, in our nation at one time until the Emancipation Proclamation came in. But are you aware that there was a, a, a set of slaves that did not hear about the freedom in which they received until a year and a half later? Now think about that. And that's this morning is what we're going to talk about is freedom. Freedom is the fact that we are free to do what we wish, but with freedom, God sets standards, right? In the Garden of Eden, He says, of this uh, garden you may freely eat, right? So there's freedom. God expresses freedom. There's abundance in freedom. But with freedom comes standards with limitations. Well, here we had a set of slaves that had been listening to false information, just like those in the garden listened to false information. They weren't aware that they had been set free, but they had been living there under false information. And this morning, I want to encourage you to question yourself, to ask yourselves the question, in my life, have I been living under false information, or am I ready to hear the truth? Because the truth is, those guys had been set free a year and a half ago. But the devil this morning wants you to understand that uh, you're free when you're truly not free indeed. Freedom. It's what everyone wants. Freedom without limitations is really what everyone wants. In a nation, in a culture who wants freedom to abort children at their desire and at their pleasure and not call it murder. See, they want the freedom, but they don't want limitations. And freedom without limitation causes corruption, and therefore there's difficulties in that. We as the people of America have been given freedoms and rights. But none of these rights and freedoms have ever come without a price. Would you not agree? We've had loved ones, friends, and families give their lives for the sake of freedom. And while we may be free as a nation, as Americans, many other nations are not this morning. And this morning I would suggest to you that while we may be politically free... Free as a nation, free as Americans, that we must become spiritually free in order to truly have irremovable freedom that exists from knowing the truth. And so this morning I want to expound a little truth to you from God's Word. And I want to ask the question this morning are you truly free? Are you truly free? Everybody has their, maybe their own definition of freedom, but Scripture gives us the true definition of freedom in what it means. Because the fact is, you know, when those slaves that had been under slavery for a year and a half longer than everyone else, they didn't all just get up and leave, did they? They didn't just get up and go back to, to I'm going to pack up my stuff and I'm going to move up north. No, they didn't. Why? Because the fact is, with freedom comes risk. You see, a lot of those slaves stayed right there where they were because slavery was what, what paid their bills, so to speak. Slavery is what fed them, what kept their beds, what clothed them. 
yet they didn't understand that freedom would set them free. I wonder how many this morning are here living in the bondage of slavery because you're too scared to step out into truth, into true freedom. You see, this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to discuss what it is to be free and free indeed, to be truly free. If you would, let's turn to John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. I'm reading from the New American Standard. You're welcome to follow along. We're going to read 31 to 36. Let's read. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had delivered him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. This morning I would like to bring this message together with three points that I think will help you understand. And by way of outline, it's up on the board. If you want to take notes, feel free. But point number one, I want us to understand we must abide in Christ. We must abide in Christ. Secondly, we must acknowledge Christ. And thirdly, we must accept Christ. Before we jump into the text of Scripture, being that we're just kind of jumping right in the middle of chapter 8, I don't want to take the passage out of context, so let us find out what's going on here before we get into our verse. Here in the last few chapters, we've seen Jesus in opposition with the Jews. In chapter 5, verses 1 to verse 47, we see His opposition at the feast in Jerusalem. Here, Jesus heals an invalid at the pools of Basada. And He is opposed. In chapter 6, verses 1 to 71, we see His opposition in Galilee. Where He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. You see, that doesn't make any sense to us. That didn't cause opposition to you. It doesn't cause opposition to me. But for a Jew, for me to say, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, dude, that would have been extraordinarily difficult for them to take. And many of them left. And he, and he, and he experienced opposition. And then in chapter 7... All the way to chapter 10, we see his opposition at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so, in Jesus in chapter 8, verses 21 to 30, Jesus is speaking of two births. One birth from above, and the other birth is that's from below. Jesus has told the Jews that he was born from above. That the Father sent him, taught him, remained in him now in verse 30 we see something happening, and that brings us to our first point. Number one, we must abide in Christ. Let me explain. Here in John 8, 31, it reads, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, If you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. 
we see here is that Jesus is dealing with Jews. But he's not dealing with just any kind of Jew. He's dealing with Jews that are claiming to be believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 30, Jesus is finishing up the contrast of of heaven and earth. And says many of the Jews believed. But it's like Christ, listen, is not going to simply take them at their word. He's going to test their profession of faith. I think too many times as, as cultural Christians, we just take a profession of faith as God's transforming work. Well, let me tell you, you don't find in the Bible that you say this little prayer and all of a sudden you're saved. That's what we do in order to act on faith, and we do that. But we don't do that without explanation that it's not us who saves us. It's Jesus Christ who saves us, and by faith, we're putting our faith in Jesus Christ. But too many times in our culture, we say, well, we walked the aisle once 20 years ago, and God never changed our lives, and we've never been transformed, and nothing's changed, and therefore, how can we be sure that that walking that aisle, praying that prayer truly saved us? Because we don't find that in Scripture. When we see Scripture, when we see transformation, when we see God changing people, we see Him changing. We see a life change. We see that it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, You're a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. And so we see that Jesus is not simply taking out of His Word But he's testing their profession of belief. I wonder how many of us this morning would pass that test of faith, true, genuine, converting faith in Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 23 and 25 on the slides. Don't worry about flipping there. I got them up here for you. He says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. Observing signs and which he was doing, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. You know, Jesus knows exactly what's in us. He knows our profession and how sincere it was or, or how driven it was by man. You know, many people, they walk the aisle and They do this thing for their parents. Kids do it for their moms and dads. Or some people just do it just to get them off their back. When in reality, God knows our heart. God knows what's in our heart. Jesus was not convinced by the believing of these Jews in chapter 2. And I don't think that he was convinced here by the believing Jews in chapter 8. And that's why he tests them. He says, if you do this, then you are this. Does that sound popular in our culture? Now, understanding works do not save us. Okay, I would never preach that as heresy. That's a different gospel. That's a works-based salvation. But Jesus says here, if you do this, then you are this. If I hit a baseball a country mile every time I come up to the plate and I'm getting paid 5 to $10 million, then I can be a professional baseball player. Right? 
But if I can't hit the broad side of a barn and I make about $10 to $15 a week and I said I was a professional baseball player, you'd say you're crazy. Same with Christianity. If we claim to be Christ, this is what we're doing in our family devotion, if you claim to be Christ and yet you live like this, then you're a liar and the truth is not in you. You see... Scripture demands obedience for us as Christians. But the culture wants us to have this freedom that's truly not freedom, but that's slavery. They want us to be enslaved. The very freedom that we've been given causes us bondage into slavery. If you do this, then you are this. And so we can assume if you're not doing this, then you're not this. Let me validate this for you. You see, Christ is what? He's an all-knowing God. We we talked about it in Sunday school this morning. And I want to encourage you, if you don't come to Sunday school, what a great opportunity for you to come out at 9.30 and experience this intimate time we have to get to know each other. And it's a time in which we can fellowship and grow in the Word of God together. But we talked about attributes of God and we talked about the faithfulness of God and the omniscience of God and the the all-knowing power of God. And we talked about His love and His grace and His mercy. But Christ is an all-knowing God. He knows everything. He knows what you were doing this morning when you woke up. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what what you're thinking about in 20 minutes. He's going to know what you're thinking about in about 25 minutes when you start getting hungry. He knows what you were doing last night. He knows what you were doing on the 4th of July. He knows what kind of people you hang out with when you're not in church. He's an omniscient God. And just like He knew what was going on inside the Jews that were He was speaking of these days, so today He knows what's going on inside of me and you. Now, I can't see inside of you, and you can't see inside of me. I can promise you, if you could, you wouldn't be standing up here listening to me right now. Because I got issues. But you know what the greatest thing is? You got issues too. We all got issues. And that's what the grace of God is about. That we can come into the household of God and actually start unveiling ourselves from this cultural Christianity that says, I got my tie on, but underneath I'm all jacked up. Let's just take the tie off and come in jacked up because I'm jacked up, you jacked up, we all jacked up. That's why we're here. And if we ever don't throw that facade aside, then we're going to come in these doors and expect change, but we got to put it back on before we walk out. We can't let nobody else see. We need change. We need freedom that's true freedom, not this facade of freedom. You know, in our family devotional, and we would read them together in 1 John chapter 2, and here John points out to the fact that these things are written that you might not sin. And my kids said, Dad, how does that work? (laughs) I don't know. We ain't supposed to sin. And that's why he continues on. He says, but if you do, which you will, there is Jesus Christ who is the advocate. He is the propitiation, not only of my sins and your sins, but the sins of the entire world. 
And then he says this in verse 3 of John, 1 John chapter 2, By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. You think about that for a moment. Now, Again, understanding, I don't believe in a works-based salvation. I don't believe we have to keep all the commandments in order to be saved because it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in which saved. At least that's what Paul says in Corinthians. But as I asked my children the other night, we did our devotion at 11 o'clock at night, okay? So imagine how that works out, all right? I got all my kids standing up because they're like, <laughs> we got to get it done, though, you know? So... So I asked them, are the commandments good or bad? What were the commandments for? To condemn us, to show us our need for Jesus Christ. But are they bad? Is it, thou shalt not murder? Who thinks it's good to murder? So that one's not bad. Thou shalt not uh, commit adultery. Hmm. Is that bad or good? They're good. The commandments are good. The problem is we can't keep them. <laughs> And that's why Jesus has to come onto the scene. Whoever keeps His Word, in Him the love of God has truly been perfected. We are a work in progress, being perfected until we stand face to face to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not how we are saved, but it's the proof of our salvation. Right? It's not how we're saved... But it's the very proof that we have been saved is that we follow His commandments. Not perfectly, but that we follow them. And when we do fail, we repent, turn back to God. First John 1 John 1.9, If you confess your sin, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's, that's, that's speaking to Christian people, not unbelievers. Good works are a byproduct of the transforming work of Jesus Christ in our life. Listen to these verses. Matthew 12:50 says, "For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother, my sister and mother." John 14, "If you love me, you keep my commandments." John 14:21, "He who has my commandments and keep them, he is the one whom loves me and I will love him and he will be loved by my Father and he will disclose himself to him. God wants us to follow his word. That's why he gave it to us. He wants us to be obedient to it because he knows what's best. What's best is falling in these pages of Scripture. But when we take off the lens of Scripture, we begin to look at culture, we begin to see the culture says, this is true freedom. Freedom is abundance without limitations. Freedom is abundant without limitations. But when we put these back on, we see even with freedom comes limitations. From this tree you may freely eat. From all of the trees you may freely see the abundance of it. You can eat anything you want. But... From the tree that sits in the middle of the garden, you may not eat. For in the day you eat, you will surely die. See, we need to talk about dying more from the pulpit. Because what these people in the culture say is freedom will actually kill you. But if we don't ever preach that, then we've missed the mark. 
Now, it's not popular. It don't fill churches. We ain't going to grow to 5,000 preaching that message. But my job ain't to grow the church. It's to preach the Word. That's God's job. We can't fool God. We can act all spiritual. We can talk all spiritual. We can pretend to be something we're not. But in due time, that which is in you will come out. And be made known to light. And, and how many of us experience that? I, I, I mean, as Christians, you know, the reality is, is <clears throat> we're not perfect. But we want to be perfected, right? We want to grow. So, so, so God puts us through trials. And in those trials, we realize, okay, I got some work to do still. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm at home. It's been a long day at work. I'm, I've been out working. It's hot. And I get a phone call from a guy. And he, he calls me on the phone. And it's like 5.30. And I'm sitting on the porch. Feet up. Can't go inside. It's too cold. The AC, I'm soaking wet. Got roaches all in my house. Trying to get them cleaned out. So I'm at my in-laws. Ain't got no clean clothes. I'm sitting on the porch. Phone. It's been a bad day, okay? All right? Been a bad day. And not only do I have a roach, it costs about $300 to get rid of them critters. And they ain't gone yet. But we're getting rid of them. So I'm sitting on the porch, feet up, guy calls me and says, Hey, you know you busted a window on one of my cars on the job today. Well, hold on, buddy. Ho. Oh, I saw that window broken before I started the job, so therefore I didn't break the window. Are you telling me you didn't break that window? No, I'm telling you the window was broke before I got there. Well, don't you ever come back out. You ain't been nothing but problems since you got here anyways. Let me tell you what. I was furious. I called that dude back. He didn't answer the phone. I got in the truck and I drove over there. You know, Scripture says go to him face to face, right? If you got a problem with your brother, go to him. So I went over there. I opened the door. He's shaking his head. What you so mad about? I've been out here working all day. I didn't break the window. And so we talked about it. And we discussed it. But you know what? In light of that reality, okay? What God showed me was that, mm, you still got some learning to do, Stuart. You still got some anger issues going on inside of your heart. You see, God wants us to be... Tra- he don't want me to leave today with the same problem that I had Yesterday. He wants me to be changed. He wants me to be transformed. He wants me to grow into the image of Christ. Everything that we do will come to light. And that's a good thing. When things come to light in our life, it gives us opportunity to grow and change and to be transformed by the renewing of Jesus Christ. And to be truly set free. Cultural freedom without limitation brings death. But true freedom with limitations, as God says, you can't do that. But there's freedom. There's still freedom. But you can't do that. Allows us to grow and mature into strong biblical Christian men and women. He was not misled by the Jews that claim to be believing Jews, and he's not misled by us today, those that claim to be in Christ, that 
have no life in Christ. Because the reality is, and I'm not judging whether you're a Christian or not, that's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict your heart. But when I walk out on the street and I ask 99.9% of people, are you a Christian? They say, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's impossible. Because the Bible says there's more going down than there's going up. And if 99.9% of the people that I ask are Christians, then the Scriptures are wrong because there's 99% going up and 0.01% going down. And if that math is wrong, I'm sorry. I graduated with 1.7. He's not misled. God is an all-knowing God and knows our very heart. He sees those things we do alone. He sees those thoughts that we have. He sees the, the anger that indwells our body. He sees those activities that we do within the confines of what we call private, as if private really exists in God's eyes. If God's all-knowing and He's omniscient, He's omnipresent, that means He's right there with you when you do it. Think about that next time you sin intentionally. God's right there with you. Whatever you're doing, God's doing it with you. He sees the activities of life in which we do, and so He calls those of us who claim to be believers to what? He says, abide. It means to continue. It means to remain, to, to hold fast to. And so in John 8, 31, he says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. The believer who is committed to abiding in Jesus and his word is to be considered an authentic disciple. A follower of Christ. Notice I said committed, not perfect. If it was perfection, we would all be in major trouble. The question is, are we committed? Commitment. You know, it's something we don't like to be as an Americans, right? We don't like to commit ourselves to anything, really. Because if I commit, that means I have responsibility to do. If I'm going to commit to a... Uh, to a person in marriage, then, then i got to commit the entire rest of my life because in our very vow is the very heart of God until death do us part. Commitment. The believer who is committed to abide in Jesus is the one that's considered authentic. We must abide in Jesus Christ and in His Word because if we fail to abide in being committed to abide, then we fail to show true conversion. Now, we all know that we are all capable of steering the wrong direction, right? We're all capable of going down the wrong road. You know the old country song, left was right and right was wrong? We're all capable of going right down the wrong road. But I like to say perseverance of the saints... Is like uh, uh, if you were to take a video of my life. If you were to take a snapshot of every time I messed up, right? If I were to take a, video, a snapshot of every mistake you've ever made, put it in a photo album, you'd go, there ain't no way I'm a Christian. But now if you took a videotape of my life from when I became a Christian, 
And many of you knew me and before I was a Christian, and you can see the difference in my life. You can see what God's doing in my life. And so if I were to video from this point to this point, it wouldn't be level, it would be like this. I'm getting closer and closer to my relationship with Christ. That doesn't mean that there's not a drop in there, right? Like I took the wrong road, but, but when I take the wrong road, thank God that when I accepted Jesus Christ, when, when God delivered me, when He transformed me, He indwelt me with the Spirit of God, and therefore I have someone who intercedes on my behalf and convicts my heart that when I do take a right turn, He says, that's wrong, and now I have the freedom and the choice to say, i got to get back on the right track. It's his job to convict. It's my job to maneuver through Christ. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so the reality is we must abide in his word. We're not saved by what we do. We're not saved by whom we know, someone we know. We're not saved by being a good person. I like what Paul Washer said. He said it this way. The proof of salvation is not that one time you prayed a prayer. The proof of your salvation is that you continue walking with Him. We call it the perseverance of the saints. Those who are in Christ, those who come to know Christ, those who are transformed and renewed, they will continue to walk in Christ. Not that they will never have issues or failures or or disappointments, but that God will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bring them back into a relationship of... of not, Not in a relationship as if they lost their salvation, but in a relationship of not hindering the the Holy Spirit. And so He wants us to be engaged with the Word of God, to be transformed. We live in a culture that says, Oh, the Lord will forgive me. It's okay if I just do it once. It's not going to send me to hell. I mean, come on. You know, I can do it once. It's all right, you know. I can do this, and I can do that. And, you know, God is a gracious. God is a God of love. Yes, He's a God of love. But have we failed to see the wrath of God? God loves us. But He loves us too much to leave us where we're at. Matthew seven twenty two to 23 says, Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? How many of you performed a miracle in your life? How many have driven out demons in your life? How many have prophesied? These dudes were, I mean, in tune. They were doing things for God. But they failed to know God. They failed to know God. And he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. My desire this morning is that no one ends up on the wrong side of the line. Your blood won't be on my hands when you leave out of here this morning. I mean, you think about that. When we go to our workplace and we deal with people and and we clam up and we're scared to share the gospel with them, we... We have to be careful to be reminded that their blood could be on our hands when we stand before the Lord. And my desire is that no one ends up on the wrong side of the line. I want you to understand what true, irremovable freedom is. And not to live under the bondage of sin, which is freedom without limitations. 
I don't want you to end up like those Jews in chapter 2 and in here in chapter 8 that had simply head knowledge. Because when you abide and believe in your heart, you become free. And many for the first time in their lives. Jesus Himself gives us short commentary on the meaning of freedom. And so we see that we are free when sin no longer rules over us. We are no longer slaves to sin, what Scripture says. And if the Word of Christ dominates our heart and our lives, that person is the person that is free. Freedom is not when you can do what you want to, to do what you wish to do, but when you wish to do and can do what you should do. That's true freedom. True freedom is saying, yes, there's abundance in freedom, but there's limitations in freedom. Because either you're a slave to Christ or you're a slave to Satan. I want to be a slave to Christ. I want to follow Christ in His Word and and be obedient to His Word. Not, Not that I'll always be perfect. That, my friend, is true freedom. Being apart from Christ, you can't have a life like that. If you abide in Christ and His teaching, then verse 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. True, irremovable freedom. But we must not only abide in Christ, secondly, we must acknowledge Christ. We must know who He is. Barah. We must know. We must acknowledge Christ for who He claimed to be. And we need to know that there are several contrasts here in chapter 8, verses 1 to 20. We see the contrast of light and darkness. In verse 21 to 30, we see the contrast of heaven and earth. In verses 31 to 40, we see a contrast of freedom and slavery. In verses 41 to 47, we see a contrast of the children of God and the children of Satan. And in chapter 8, verses 48 to 59, we see a contrast of honor and dishonor. And today we're looking at the third contrast, the the contrast of freedom and the contrast of slavery. This Jesus is offering true freedom. By the fact that Jesus is offering them true freedom, assumes that these Jews are currently slaves. Verse 33 says, They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? You will become free. You you see what happens when we're slaves? We're so enslaved that we can't even see that we're slaves. True freedom. False freedom. False freedom is so blinding that we can't even see it. Remember those slaves we were talking about after the Emancipation Proclamation was done? In a year and a half, they lived in slavery after they had already been freed? They didn't know it. They were so enslaved that they they didn't even have the ability to know it. Because they had not been given true information. They had been receiving false information.
this statement that the Jews had made talking about never having been enslaved to anyone was just clearly not true. It's not simply a political evaluation of their history that Jesus is, is giving them. Although they see it from a political view. When they see slavery, they're talking about, we're not enslaved. But Jesus is talking about spiritual, but they're thinking political. But it's not just political. It was instead a religious statement that they were spiritually children of God and that they were descendants of Abraham. And so they've, we're not, we're not slaves. They felt their secure and their salvation because they were from the seed of Abraham. Verse 33 said, we are Abraham's descendants. Literally, we are Abraham's seed. The Greek word for seed there is sperma. You know what I'm talking about, adults. What's interesting about this word, sperma, is in the singular form, not the plural form. You see, when we read it in English, it can mean uh, multiple or, or one seed or seeds, but here it's talking about in the singular. If you will turn with me to Galatians three, sixteen. Flip over to Galatians there, first and second Corinthians and then Galatians three sixteen. He says this, Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather one. And to your seed, that is Christ. Paul is arguing here that Jesus Christ is the real descendant of Abraham. He is the seed, the one single seed. And the Jews were expecting salvation through Abraham, and they failed to see the need for the one true seed of Abraham that come through Jesus Christ. We see this promise of Messiah throughout all the Old Testament looking forward to the coming of Christ. As this morning in Sunday school, we looked at Jacob's ladder and, and the comparison, the parallels to Jesus and Jacob's ladder. And he replaces himself with the ladder of Jacob, and therefore he is the intermediary between God and, and, and earth. He is the one seed. I think that it fits our day just perfect. The culture in which we live, people look to other things for their needs for salvation. And people just kind of create their own facade, their own religion. They make themselves out to be their own God. Matter of fact, you know, on, on a job Saturday, Jimmy was there. I asked the guy, hey, you go to church? Well, you know, I, I don't have to go to church for my faith, for my belief. Hmm. You don't. But what do you believe in? Because the Bible don't teach that. So I don't even, I don't even listen, I don't even got to discuss theological things with you because I know your theology is not built to place upon the Word of God based off your comment. Because based off this Word of God, yes, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. 
But you've got to go to church to be an obedient Christian. To be a Christian in fellowship with the body, with the Lord. It fits the culture we live in. People justify themselves, their own decisions based upon what they create as truth. The question is, what is truth? Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. So, listen. This is a new test. When somebody tells you something, they say, this is true, look it up in here. If it ain't here, it ain't truth. Now, this don't tell us how to do a bypass surgery, okay? I understand that. At least, I don't want my doctor reading this when he does a bypass surgery on me. I want to know he's led by this, but I don't want him to do the operation based off of this. But the truth is, this is where we find our truth. We can take off the lens of Scripture and look at the world and design our own truth, become our own gods, but we can't say it's truth unless we look through the lens of Scripture and determine whether it's true based off of God's Word. How do you know what I'm saying this morning is truth? Well, God says test every spirit. If I'm up here preaching my heart out, how do you know what I'm telling you is true? Unless you go back and look yourself. That's why I'm giving you verses and points because I want to know you're taking notes so you can go back and evaluate what this dude said. Because I want you to know that when I speak, I want to speak of God's truth, the truth of His Word. So I try not to tell you my opinions. I want to tell you what God's Word says. People justify themselves every day based off of their own decisions, based off of creating their own truth. It's the world's way of being in a postmodern people or a, a culture of the theological term is postmodernity, whatever you want to call it. That basically simply says all truth is relative. What's true to me may not be true to you, and what's true to you may not be true to me, and therefore, how can I determine that you're wrong and I'm right based off of my truth? Well, when we evaluate Scripture, it determines what's truth. Of this tree of the gardens, you may freely eat abundance, but this tree you shall not eat. Truth? Freedom comes with abundance. What's the devil do? What's the devil do? He begins to break those barriers and say, no, you can eat. And he disapproves of what truth really is. Many times, on many occasions, as I share my faith with people, or simply talk to someone about spiritual things, they say things like, you know, I grew up in the church, and I've, I've been saved all my life. Uh, my mom and dad's a Christian, therefore I'm a Christian. There is a personal responsibility that one has. You can't rely on anyone or anything for your salvation other than Jesus Christ. And the Lord will judge you as an individual. You will give an account for yourself, and I will give an account for myself. And while people come up with all kinds of ways to show that they don't need Christ, 
this book that I study, this book that I read, has proven itself to be absolute truth. And therefore, it's good. It's good for you and for me to to submit to the truth of God's Word. We can't sit around and just allow people to look the other way. We must acknowledge Christ for who He is and begin to tell people. That man at the grocery store that ah, just you know, shows up. You know, I think I missed an opportunity this weekend on the job site. And I didn't realize until I was preparing my sermon. God just comes out of the blue. Remember that, Tony? God just comes out of the blue. I didn't even see him on the... I'm in the middle of the parking lot. Bam, he's right there. Hey, can I borrow your phone? Sure, here's the phone. I gave him the phone and psh, he's gone. And I should have shared the gospel with that dude. Yeah, you can use my phone, but let me tell you something. <laughs> let me tell you about Jesus. He said it was too hot. He didn't want to walk. I said, well, it's too hot. I don't want to weed eat. Hmm. I missed an opportunity to share my faith with someone that God could have easily put in my path, but I was too consumed with what I had to do. It's a learning process, right? The reality is that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. He is the only King, the only Lord, and the only Savior. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Acts 4.12 it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given by men by which we must be saved. John 14.6 says, I am the way, not a way, not the best way, but the only way. In John 10, 4, he says, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Romans 5, 2 says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this gospel, this grace in which we stand, which we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. We must acknowledge Christ as Lord, as Savior, as King, as the most valuable person ever to exist in our life. More than our wives, more than our children, more than our family, more than our businesses, more than whatever you fill in the blanks, more than all. The Jews believed Christ. They believed Christ, but failed to know it six inches from here to here. Some people got bigger heads, so maybe like a foot. They acknowledged Him with their mental knowledge, but failed to understand Him in their life, in their heart, with all of their being. I think it's unlikely that these Jews meant that they had never been in political slavery. To anyone. That is ridiculous. At, at, at right now at that point when they're, they're enslaved to the Romans. They're under Roman slavery. There wasn't a major power that didn't see them enslaved. You had the Egyptians. You had the Assyrians. You had the Babylonians. You had Syria. You had Greece. You had Rome. All of them had been under slavery. The Jews had been under slavery to all of them. So what are they talking about? I believe the Jews are talking about spiritual inward freedom and privilege. 
they thought that they were free spiritually in Abraham. But Christ in verse 45 expresses that He is speaking the truth and they want nothing to do with it. And so Jesus, pushing a bit more, explains in detail just what He's talking about. And in verse 34, Christ begins to tell them what they are slaves to. And verse 34 reads, Jesus answers them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Jesus is not talking about political freedom. But He is talking about, He's talking of moral failure against the rebellion against God. This is simply the state of each man before they are changed eternally and spiritually. We are all separated from a holy and just God in the beginning. That's why when somebody says, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. No, that's not correct. You have not been a Christian your whole life because from my understanding of Scripture, from the Bible says that, that life begins in the womb. At conception. So you haven't been Christian since you've been born, since your whole life. There has been a time in which you were stained and separated and especially at the point where you committed a sin... But the great news is Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. See, this morning you have to understand in order to get to the kingdom of God, you have to be perfect. You say, well, how can I be perfect? The Bible says I'm a sinner. Well, listen. If I were to take my pen here this morning... And I were to say, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's just say this is us. And we're outside of God, right? If God finds us in this state, we will, ret- we will receive the eternal judgment God says we will. But the greatest thing is that Jesus, this book, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. When we are saved, when we are born again, who does God see? Where are you at? You're in Christ. When God sees you, He doesn't see you, He sees Jesus. He sees the perfect one. And I'm trying to tell you this morning, the truth, the true freedom, is not that there's freedom without limitations, but there's freedom in knowing that when you are limited to understanding that unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will not truly be free. You'll be slaves. And no matter how bad you don't want to be a slave, no matter how bad you want to live your life the way you want to live it, Scripture says you'll be a slave if you're out here. These people were slaves to sin because they were not free. And the reason they were not free was they were looking for the wrong promise. They were looking to Abraham and not to Jesus. And so the question has to be for you and me this morning, what are we looking to? Are we looking to our own efforts, our works, as a means of salvation? Galatians 2.21 says, If we could be saved by keeping the law, then Christ died needlessly. 
Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? If you could be good enough or I could be good enough, then Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. Are we looking to human logic? Man's ways? Because the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. Remember? Freedom without limitations leads to death. You may freely eat the abundance of the garden, but you shall not eat this. There's limitations, but you take that limitation out. For the day you eat, you will surely die. The devil comes in and says, Nah, you can eat of that fruit. They eat, and when they ate, they died. Spiritually. And they were removed from the garden to protect them. We must acknowledge Christ for who He is. Because He is the one that sets us free from sin. From the bondage of sin. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that when you presented yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Neither of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. What are we slaves to? Righteousness or sin? James says, you show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Because he understands that a true converted Christian will develop into a mature Christian through the process of perseverance. We need to live lives of obedience. And when we do fail, we need to trust that Jesus Christ has given us freedom. He has set us free from the bondage of sin. We must acknowledge Christ. And thirdly and lastly, we must accept Christ. We have to make a decision for Christ. The Christians that are here... We still have to make a decision for Christ. Not for salvation once again, but we have to make decisions that we're going to accept the freedom that we have in Christ, but we're going to accept the limitations. We're not just going to be able to stand up on false teachings like so many pulpits are in America today. So many denominations are now accepting homosexual marriage into the church. Listen, if we're going to, if we're going to look through the lens of Scripture, we cannot do it. And even, listen, you may have been born that way. Guess what? I was born a murderer. I wanted to murder that man. But I'm limited. I want to look at that, but I'm limited. I have freedom to choose, but I'm limited. It's not an excuse. We're all born sinners. The question is, what does the Word of God say sin is? And what God's Word says sin is, it's sin then, it's sin now, will always be sin. And though we have freedom, we have limitations based off of the Word of God. Therefore, we can't just choose and pick what we want to do. Because if we pick what we want to do, then we are not truly free. We're slaves. Will you be a slave or will you be a son? 35 says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. I don't know about you, but I want to be with the one who remains forever. Eternally. So if the son makes you free, 
you will be free indeed. We are no longer slaves to sin, Christians, but adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We who are in Christ are free and never ever forget it's the Son who sets us free. And if the Son sets us free, then we can be free indeed. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not master over you, for you are not under, under the law, but under grace. The Jews considered themselves free, but they were not free, because real freedom comes from only knowing the Son, because He is the one who makes us free. When we accept Jesus Christ as our source of salvation, our source of security, Romans 8 tells us, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are no longer slaves to sin. Christ has set you free. Jesus Christ sets us free from the law of sin and death, but He also adopts us into the household of God. We have been given the gift of grace. Grace. We're slaves to Christ and to obedience, not Satan and sin. We look at Paul's life. If anyone was removed from a life of sin to a life of following Jesus Christ, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul said, I used to do everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. He was authorized by the leading priest to, 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 to cause many of them to be condemned to death. He said, I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. He said, many times I had them whipped in the synagogues to try to get them to curse Christ. He said, I was so violently opposed them that I, was even, I even hounded them in distant cities of foreign lands. He followed them jokers around. But on that road, that day, the Son set him free. And when you are set free by the Son, you are free indeed. True freedom in Christ alone is the way it should be. And while we are blessed as a nation, freedom comes with the price. The question you may ask yourself today, whether you're here visiting on vacation, riding through, visiting, uh, or even another member of another church, the question you have to leave here and ask is, am I truly free? Am I truly free? Free in Christ. Death was the price. Burial was the test. And resurrection was the proof. Jesus Christ, I want you to understand this morning, is King. He is the roadway to righteousness, the highway to holiness, the pathway to peace, and the gateway to the glory of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. John's whole purpose for writing this book is that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 